0: So you guys know how I feel about getting my beauty sleep. I love to sleep so much, I dream about sleeping when I'm actually sleeping. If you haven't tried one, Casper mattresses are outrageously comfortable. Their engineers spent thousands of hours obsessively developing the perfect combination of foam layers so that it has just the right sink and the right bounce. They've been designed and developed in the U.S., but they're assembled here in the U.K., so free shipping and returns to the U.K. Good news, sleep lovers. You can actually try one for 100 nights, that's 100 sleeps, and send it back if you're not happy. And because they sell directly to customers, their prices are shockingly fair. With an average of 4.8 stars from 20,000 reviews, that's pretty good, it's fast becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. Get 55 pounds toward any mattress purchase by visiting Casper.com and using promo code Heart of It at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. If someone told me I would have built a career out of trying beauty products, hi everyone. I never um, would have believed them. This is my first YouTube video, so I just um, wanted to introduce myself. Um my name's Estee. Um, I've been watching YouTube. Creating my first YouTube video is one of my most vivid memories, despite it being almost eight years ago. I sat in my living room in our flat in Cambridge I knew nothing about cameras or computers or anything like that. So I made my boyfriend set up a camera and it was a really old school style Sony camera with a flip screen. And I remember I couldn't actually look at myself in the flip screen because I was so humiliated. Okay, I can't do this wave thing. I always do that. Hey. hey. Okay. Nope. Nope. Hey, everyone. Oh, no, this is not. Okay. I'm going to calm down now. It took me almost an hour to even say one sentence because I was so terrified. Oh my God, how do people do this? (laughs) Hello, Oh. oh, I hate you. Okay. My first YouTube video was called March of the Brushes. God knows why, I was trying to have a creative title and it was like a 17 minute video all about my new makeup brushes. Three different brushes, a 17-minute video. Just think about that. It was very long-winded. <laughs> I since have not re-watched that video because I just can't even handle it. But yeah, it's on the internet. So the there you go. Um, so anyway, I hope you enjoyed my video. Um, I wasn't too informative or anything, but I just, for anyone who cared. So thanks for watching. I'll see you soon. Bye. I would say I was not a very confident teenager. I was a little, I was, okay, I was very overweight and I really hated my body. I didn't have the best skin. I didn't have a boyfriend until I was like 17, which I thought was a huge deal. And I just don't think I ever really thought of myself as a confident person until I started making videos, which is kind of crazy because, you're, you're putting yourself out there and you're getting loads of criticism, but at the same time, it really helped build my confidence. Hey everyone i'm back hey guys a- i'm back with another video and hey everyone i'm going to be doing this summer besties tag today I just want to make a little announcement um i have indeed reached 100,000 subscribers if you really go back to when i first started making videos i would have never thought this would happen so i guess i'm just saying thank you and like yeah, to- for the first few years as a beauty blogger it was really exciting for me because i was always learning something For me, a lot of the joy in makeup comes from researching it and deciding what products I really want to test out. And after all these years, I genuinely still have an interest in beauty. For instance, just yesterday, I was in a pharmacy waiting for a passport photo and I overheard a woman asking the shop assistant for advice on what foundation to get. The shop assistant was very busy with other things and told her to wait a few minutes until she was free. I guess due to years of retail experience and my love for beauty, I didn't think twice before walking up to her and saying, Excuse me, do you need help picking a new foundation? Once I determined which foundation I thought would be best for her, I grabbed the tester and I put a little bit of the foundation on her jawline and blended it in. I actually had a pocket mirror with me in my bag and I whipped it out and I was like, see what I mean? Like, this is such a great color for you. She's like, oh yeah, I totally see what you're talking about. And she did buy it. The funniest thing is as this was happening, my boyfriend actually walked in because he was wondering what was taking so long. And when he saw me putting foundation on a random stranger, he was just like, oh my God, not again. My point is, I really, really love beauty products. They make me happy, and I love sharing any knowledge I may have gathered over the years with other people. Beauty products help me feel more confident, and to me, that's priceless. Welcome to the Heart of It! I'm Estelle Lalonde, and on this show, I explore subjects through the unique experiences of my guests. This episode, my favorite subject ever, makeup. From contouring to that natural look, makeup is as individual and varied as the many shades of red lipstick out there. They're kind of the same, but totally different. I feel like we're more familiar with makeup than we've ever been, thanks to things like YouTube and Instagram, We can always be aware of makeup trends, and even people who are not that into makeup will have had a few makeup tutorials pop up on their feeds. It's a popular pastime with more and more people getting into makeup as a whole. There's also a growing number of men joining in. But historically, a lot has influenced the way we paint our faces. From tribalism to confidence, makeup can be used for many reasons. It's not all about just finding the right shade of lipstick to go with your Kylie pout. Makeup can be emotionally healing and can transform us beyond just skin deep. Like a lot of people out there, I'm really into modern beauty and have come to the realization that I don't really know that much about when and where makeup started. I'm really curious to find out more about the birth of the cosmetics industry and there's no one more qualified than my next guest, Madeline Marsh. Madeline Marsh is a social historian who wrote the book, The History of Compacts and Cosmetics. Not only is Madeline a style expert who brushes shoulders with the likes of Lisa Eldridge, she also knows how to rock a bold red lipstick.
1: One, two, three, four.
0: When Madeline first came to the studio, I was so excited to meet her and she did not disappoint.
1: I don't have breakfast. I have a cup of coffee and cigarettes. (laughs) (laughs) It's not very good for your beauty. It's true.
0: She walked into the room. I instantly heard that raspy, sexy voice.
1: Don't do this at home, children.
0: She was in these tight, high-waisted jeans with this bright red belt and a red and white striped top. Bright red lipstick, but not much makeup on besides that. So let's start off really easy. I want to get you to introduce yourself to all the listeners.
1: Well, my name is Madeline Marsh. I'm a historian specializing in the history of beauty and cosmetics.
0: Wow. I didn't even know that that was a job.
1: (laughs) Oh, I made it up all by myself. (laughs) But is
0: there like a group? She had this necklace, which was like actual miniature cans of Campbell's soup, like 15 of them on her necklace. And she was just in the room and all you wanted
1: to do was talk to her Historians, but no often i just sit by myself in front of my makeup mirror pondering over my 1920s compacts
0: oh wow do you have anyone else in your life who's as obsessed as you are
1: no <laughs>
0: <laughs> just
1: you i just got surrounded by lots of patient people
0: well i first heard of you when you were on lisa eldridge's youtube channel So if you're wondering who Lisa Eldridge is, she is an amazing makeup artist. She's also the creative director of Lancome. And she's one of the first super successful makeup artists to start a YouTube channel. It's amazing. And she's so lovely. I just adore her. But anyway, back to Madeline.
1: She came to see me because I'd formed a collection of vintage beauty products, which I did because I was commissioned to write a book about the history of beauty And I wanted to see the objects. And it's one of the great ironies that you you can go, say, to the Victoria and Albert Museum and look at the history of fashion and there's everything there. Is there a single lipstick? Oh, no, there isn't. Is there a powder compact? Is there a lady shave? And all these things. I mean, nobody would ever wear a Dior dress without lipstick. It'd be like not having your knickers on. And so... I couldn't see these things anywhere. So I began collecting myself. I'm the queen of eBay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is that where you find most of your stuff?
1: I found a lot on eBay because people sell their grandmothers on eBay. And so I I bought a lot there, I hung around vintage shops, antiques markets, not spending very much money because what I was interested in was the ordinary things. You know, the lipsticks you'd have used in the 20s, the little Gillette shavers that came in then, or Victorian makeup. And yes, I gradually built up this collection. And today, bizarrely, from from my little house, museums across the world have borrowed from me. Wow. (laughs) Go figure. Because people haven't bothered to collect it because these were disposable products.
0: It's funny to think about the once ordinary objects being put on display in museums. It's crazy, right? And it's funny to think about the everyday objects of today that would be in museums like 100 years from now. I wonder, maybe one day we'll see like a Clarisonic behind the glass window or like a bright pink beauty blender. Imagine what people will think about beauty blenders like 100 years from now. They'll probably have a way better way of putting on foundation by then. Maybe it really is going to be museum worthy.
1: And makeup doesn't stand alone. It's, you know, what we do to our faces reflects the clothes that we're wearing which reflects the prevailing attitudes to women at the day it's such an important bit of our history Mm, and it tells the story of women and for me that has been the fascination
0: Ooh, well, we are going to talk about that in a lot more depth. But first, I want to go back to the beginning for you because you said it was a gradual thing. But when you were a little kid, like, do you have that story of seeing your mum putting on lipstick and the whole thing? Or when did it happen for you?
1: Totally. I mean, in, in terms of interest, my mum my always used to say, oh, I've got to put a face on. <laughs> and as a kid, you know, I was always fascinated by that. I vividly remember what she looked like, smelt like and felt like when she was going out in the evening when she went to kiss me goodnight because it was different. And I, I think we all have that. I bet you remember, you know, your mum's perfume or, or, you know, what she looked like on special occasions. And yeah. that's our introduction to cosmetics.
0: Totally. And I think it's really interesting that you mentioned what she smelled like because, OK, besides the perfume, makeup has a scent. And oh, I remember my grandma's lipstick, what it smelled <laughs> like, you know. And it's such a nice memory. I actually discovered one of my... <laughs> So let me just introduce you to my grandmama, Marilda Lalonde. My grandmama is like the life of any party. When she walks into a room, you know she's there. She is a presence. And a lot of that has to do with her physical appearance. <laughs> My grandma's style was always very flamboyant and big and bold and out there, which is pretty cool. She always wore bright blue eyeshadow and glitter. Even like when she was older, like she would wear it every single day. So whenever I think of her, that's what I think of. And I think it shows the type of person that she is. You know, she's bold, she's exciting. She's all of these things that the makeup represents.
1: It is a truly remarkable thing to get a little 1920s compact through the post to open it up. You sniff it and there's the little powder puff and you're smelling the 1920s.
0: You can almost be taken right back to
1: it. Oh, totally. It's a tiny little bit of history that you're holding in your hand that you can touch. And that's what I like.
0: Wow. Okay, so why I really want to have you on here is because I love makeup, I love beauty, but I don't really know anything about how it started. So let's go back. What's the first recorded makeup use that's ever existed?
1: Yeah, I do think that really, since the dawn of time, we've had an urge to decorate our faces. And I'm, I'm sure when cavemen were painting hunting scenes on caves, cave women were putting their fingers in all that red ochre and going oh what do you think as they painted their lips but in terms of recorded use the earliest recorded use dates from ancient egypt all the time consuming and tedious beauty practices that we do today most of them were you know pioneered 4000 years ago wow shaving for example in ancient egypt men and women wanted to be hair-free, so in tombs we found bronze razors, tweezers. Then after you shave, the next step is moisturising. And my favourite Egyptian fact is that the first recorded strike in history was when tomb builders, they were supposed to receive supplies of castor oil to keep their skin supple in the desert. It didn't arrive, so they laid down their tools. It was everybody out, boys. We haven't got our moisturiser.
0: It's just crazy because, OK, I'm trying to take myself back. I'm in ancient Egypt, OK? I'm Cleopatra. And I mean, what makes someone, the first person, say, I'm going to shave all this hair off my legs?
1: I think anything you do to your body like that and all the cosmetics they wore, the coal eye paint, the red ochre that they put on their lips, it is all about distinguishing yourself from peasants. Basically, because the moment you are a member of the ruling class, you want to show that visually. And so, for example, up until Coco Chanel suntanned herself in the 1920s on the Duke of Westminster's yacht, royalty and the ruling class always wanted to look paler than they were naturally, mm. because that distinguishes you from all those peasants labouring outside in the, in the field. Sun, yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly the same that happened in ancient Egypt. So the look you give yourself defines your status. And that's a hugely important function of cosmetics.
0: Wow. Well, speaking of Coco Chanel, I was in Paris and I got to see her apartment. It was interesting to see the lifestyle, you know, and there is this spiral staircase that has mirrors and she apparently used to sit on the stairs and just watch her fashion shows and everything like that. It was really incredible, but I yeah. thought I would tell you that. And
1: she's really funny about makeup, actually, because she disapproved of excessive makeup. But when she reopened her couture house after the war, ladies would come and they'd have their powder compacts and it was standard then. Ladies would have a gilded powder compact and she'd do her nose in public. And Coco Chanel thought that was shocking. She said, how can you be elegant doing that? And when they come to my house with their lipstick and they put it on my fine napkins, I'm going to give them paper napkins. She thought it was excessively vulgar to apply your makeup in public and thought, ironically, given that we've all got a Chanel lipstick in our bag, uh, she thought the bright red lipstick was vulgar and red nail varnish. (gasps) I've got on. Yeah. Well, you're a Dior girl. You'd have liked the sort of the femininity of Dior. And she, her look was very, very different. And she did not like excessive makeup.
0: I mean, what would she think of all the makeup that they sell today? Disgusting. (laughs) It's
1: not elegant, probably.
0: All right. So ancient Egypt, that happened. What's next?
1: Taste for makeup then spreads to Rome. Roman matrons smothered themselves in makeup, but the attitude was a bit different. You get Roman poets mocking anybody who seemed to wear too much excessive makeup. You know, there's wonderful lines like, her face doesn't even sleep with her. (gasps) Or you dye your hair, but never will you dye your old age. So there was a change in attitude. Yes, you know, you can put white chalk on your face. You can put carmine on your lips. You can even give yourself a monobrow, if you like, because a monobrow was much prized in in ancient Rome. But the important thing, do this in secret. We men don't want to see you with your beauty boxes around you. There are some things we men should know nothing about. What's the deal with the secrecy thing? I think it's wanting to believe things are natural. Mm. And throughout the history of makeup actually there's a lot of suspicion about women who wear too much makeup women who might seek to entrap you i mean so much so i mean we're going i'm going to take you on a bit in time here let's do it and we're going to go straight from ancient rome right to the 18th century in britain it was one of our most excessive periods for the use of makeup. Ladies were covered in white lead face paint. You had beauty spots and patches on your face, and those could cover spots or pockmarks or anything. You'd be wearing your wig. So it was a completely artificial look. That in turn bred a real fear in a lot of men that what you were marrying, once all the slap had been taken off, would look very different. And such was men's fear that in 1770 there was an Act of Parliament passed stating that any woman who betrayed a man into marriage with the use of make-up could be condemned with the laws reserved for witchcraft and their marriage could be declared null and void. So, I, a bloke, could divorce you if you'd entrapped him into marriage with makeup. That fear, I think, with makeup is particularly interesting because one of the reasons we wear makeup in theory is to attract the male. And when I was writing my book, I talked to so many men who actually said, well, don't really like lipstick, and mm-hmm. you know, oh, you look so much nicer without your makeup on. Yeah, you hear it and, all the time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but you also hear a lot of people saying, oh, like if somebody, you run into someone without makeup, you know, you always hear, oh, she looks a bit different without makeup, yeah. you know? We all yeah. do, obviously, but Absolutely. I think to go completely makeupless in front of somebody is actually quite an intimate thing. It's maybe not often that you are completely makeup in front of people. I don't know. I feel like I'm maybe in the minority because I've always been quite comfortable not wearing makeup, but I do remember the first time that I was makeup in front of my boyfriend, and I wouldn't say I was embarrassed, but it is kind of like the first time you have sex, you take off your clothes, and you're there, and it's raw, and it's you, so I think it is an important step. In any sort of relationship. Uh, Late
1: 19th, early 20th century, when if you wore obvious makeup, you were either an actress, a prostitute or French, really, all of which amounted to much the same thing. So anything you did to your face had to be secret.
0: How come people thought that women who wore a lot of makeup were automatically more promiscuous or they were even a slut?
1: And the other word you could say is slapper.
0: Okay, a slapper.
1: Because slap is a term for grease paint because you slapped on the grease paint and a lot of cosmetics actually developed in the theatre. And if you worked on the stage, really up until hmm, quite late in the 19th century, it was assumed that you were a lady of easy virtue. Oh, wow. And from the theatre, it gradually migrated to... Makeup worn by everybody, and that technology always connects to how we change the way we look. The invention of telephone exchanges mean there's jobs for young women, and where there's jobs, there's money, and money is power.
0: What was a typical makeup look for someone who's going to work?
1: Big hair, no makeup before World War One, but it all begins to kick off after World War One. With the
0: 20s. Ooh, the 20s.
1: (laughs) The 20s. So there you've got, you know, the flappers of the 20s. What do they do? They cast off their corsets for a straight up and down look. They shorten their skirts so that you can see their ankles. They cut their hair short. Now that was revolutionary. And to the horror of their parents, they took to drinking, smoking. And wearing makeup in public. Because for the first time ever, with the development of the Hollywood movies, we saw women's faces magnified to bigger than ever before. We'd never seen anybody looking like that. And thanks to cinema, we also needed a new type of makeup. Max Factor, he was the great makeup artist of Hollywood, and he had to develop new looks for makeup that would work under film lights. And what women saw on the cinema, they wanted for themselves. And Max Factor began producing his own retail line. And his pancake makeup became the best seller in the, in the history of makeup. Because, yeah, we were looking at all these people. They were our icons, whether it was Clara Bow or Joan Crawford with her postbox lips. These were the people we wanted to look like, these were our icons. And, yeah, Max.
0: It's interesting to think about makeup icons. Obviously, celebrities and people in movies and stuff are makeup icons. Like, look at someone like Marilyn Monroe. But today, I think people do look more and more into YouTubers and internet people and, of course, other types of celebrities as well as their makeup idols. And I actually often get tagged in pictures of people saying, I've tried the Estee makeup today, which is really cool. I don't know if I'd ever actually call myself a makeup icon. I have no formal training. I'm not even that good at makeup, but I think that's the point. That other girls and guys can watch my channel and think, okay, she can do that. I can do that too. And, you know, sometimes I see pictures of my YouTuber friends and I'm like, oh, her makeup looked awesome that day. I'm going to try that. So I get the feeling completely and I'm honored. It's interesting that it's men creating. All of these makeup ranges. What's why? Where it's
1: were the not, women? Well, the women were absolutely there in force and tough as old boots. They were too. You wouldn't fight with them. Helena Rubinstein, Elizabeth Arden, later Estee Lauder, and actually, particularly Rubinstein and Arden were such remarkable strong women. Both very short, <laughs> both very feisty, and both who changed the way that we felt about beauty and bought beauty. They, they Both of them gave me two lovely quotes that, uh, that have always lived with me. Elizabeth Arden said, nothing that costs a dollar is worth having which I think tells us a lot about the beauty industry and the perception that if we spend loads of money, it's all going to be fabulous. And I think it was Helena Rubinstein who described Cream as hope in a jar.
0: Hope in a jar.
1: <laughs> and we've all had hope in a jar.
0: <laughs> and Well, you know, the beauty industry really does play on women's yeah. insecurities. And, totally. you know, as a feminist, how should I feel about that?
1: Oh, just shocked but this is what's going to happen i mean what you get again in the 20s is really the beginnings of this negative advertising mm. and it's fascinating to watch it develop ads in the 20s yeah if there's a lot of you know are you hairy are you wrinkly are you smelly because we're cash cows they realized we were cash cows and yippee there was a whole with the more of our body we showed the more stuff they could sell us, like lady shaves. We only had leg shavers because we were showing our legs.
0: Right. So really, if you look at the beauty industry, it's it's really mirroring what's happening in women's history.
1: Totally. That's why it's interesting because, you know, otherwise a lipstick is a lipstick is a lipstick. But when you see a lipstick as a story, it is interesting. Mm.
0: I see you're wearing very bright, bold red lipstick today. And I want to talk about red lipstick because when I think of makeup, I just, that's the first image I get, red lipstick.
1: Yeah, I mean, red, it is the most powerful colour. In 1912, there was a very, very famous suffragette march in New York. And as part of their campaign dress, all the suffragettes painted their lips with bright red lipstick. And this was yeah, at the stage when lipstick was, you know, shocking and your parents would scrub your face. And that was absolutely, you know, part of their battle cry. And I think red lipstick in particular has always had a very powerful meaning. You you see it very strongly during World War II. You know, there wasn't much makeup available during World War II. It was really hard to get hold of it. But if a lipstick did come out, it was always called Patriot Red, Grenadier Red. And lipstick, putting your makeup on during when bombs were dropping on your head, this was seen as, as you know, a red badge of courage. And red lipstick was really powerful.
0: Yeah, I agree. I love wearing red. And every time I put red on, you do feel a, a type of power, don't you? That oh, That you can't absolutely. explain. Yes.
1: And it's that powerful femininity, which we needed during the war. Then you move into the 50s. Again, very, very feminine because there's a real ladylike style in the 50s, isn't there? You know, women, they'd taken off their wartime uniforms and their their dungarees from the munitions factory. It was Dior's new look in at the waist, out at the bust. And perfect lips went with that. Mm. So if you think, I don't know, Marilyn Monroe or Jane Mansfield, everybody's got these absolutely perfect, very strong coloured lips because it's very feminine. And post-war, we were ready for a bit of femininity. Yeah, we needed women to come back and be in the kitchen. We needed women to go up into the bedroom to produce the baby boom. We needed women.
0: Yeah. I mean, and in today's time, women are doing it all. We're working. We're taking care of the kids. We're doing the house. We're we're just doing so much, yet we're still expected to kind of be immaculate. Don't you think?
1: And it's interesting. It's women expecting it of other women. I think think a lot of times
0: it is. Yeah. it's
1: yeah, it's how we look and it, and there is that really horrible side of women that I mean I lo- yeah, I love women obviously <laughs> but there is a side that you know like I, I'll do it myself say so I'm watching the news or, or weather forecast on television, don't hear a word because I'm going, oh, look at that lipstick, oh God, that stretch, All oh, that neckline, oh, shocking. And we look very critically. Mm-hmm. We don't even know we're doing it. You
0: don't know you're doing it. Like look at Hillary Clinton and Theresa May, for
1: instance. Yes. Oh, that's so shocking, isn't it? There yeah. she is with Brexit and all these important things. They go, oh, look, Brexit, Bob, have you seen her shoes? Yeah. Oh, for God's sake. I know, but it never happens with men, does it? No, and look at men—how ghastly they look. <laughs> but there has been an absolute change with men as well,
0: especially on the internet. There's a lot of uh, men who are making videos, doing makeup tutorials and yeah. things like that, which is completely new. That you know, on on YouTube,
1: absolutely. And the whole, you know, the whole notion of gender, drag artists. Let's talk about drag. Oh, I mean, yeah, but isn't it interesting that drag started off as something alternative? And now it is so mainstream. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's very interesting. It's part of the gender fluidity. Yeah. We live in a wonderful world where we can, you know, we can see everything, be everything. We can dress like what we want to be.
0: Yeah. And that's the interesting thing about technology and the internet because people can go there and find their people, so to speak. Yes. And I know that makeup has been, you know, quite a tribal thing in the past. Yeah. Are there any modern day tribes? I think there are loads,
1: aren't there? I mean, you yeah, know, you still get goths and kardashian lookalike people and whatnot. I think everybody still has lots of tribes, but it's expressed in a different way.
0: When I think back to the different types of makeup I've worn, I really have grown. So I was a tomboy for the longest time, then I rocked that blue eyeshadow for a while. And then I got really obsessed with eyeliner when I was like 13. I couldn't go like 10 minutes without checking my eyeliner. Then there was the emo stage, of course. I was in love with a man called Mark the Dark and I needed to make myself as gothic as possible without actually being gothic. So I wore a lot of dark lipsticks. I had black hair with a big blonde streak in the front and I thought I was the hottest thing ever. Um, then I kind of went more hippie because I got dreadlocks that was when I was 17 to 18 so that happened and uh, thank god that didn't last too long and then I dyed my hair blonde and then I pretty much became who I am now so it was quite an evolution Uh, but I feel like I'm I think I made it through to the other side okay okay Changing pace, let's go back
1: to the 60s, baby. In the 60s, there was a total change of emphasis. So if you think in the 50s, the icons were Marilyn Monroe, big bust, little waist, big hips. Who is the big icon of the 60s? We have Twiggy, uh, age 16, bust measurement, 30 and a half inches. Wow. This was the look. Of the 60s was this the first time finn was in it wasn't the first time finn was in but it was the first time maybe in history that rather than girls wanting to look like their mothers their mothers wanted to look like them oh. you know this was the age of the teenager these baby boomers they're teenagers, right? And they've got money to spend. There's mass employment. There's more teenagers than there is of everything else. By you know the mid '60s, half the clothes produced in Britain were being bought by kids aged between 15 and 19, and it's young who are setting the look. So the makeup look of the period completely different. So the big makeup thing in the in the '60s, great big eyes because Babies, puppies, kitties, all have great big eyes. Everybody wore false eyelashes and very difficult. They were too.
0: I can imagine they're a lot different to today's. Yeah.
1: The fashion was obviously you wore them top and bottom. And at crucial moments, they'd locked together. Oh, no. <laughs> so you couldn't open your eyes and they are always falling off. So big eyes. And we talked about red lipstick earlier on. In the 60s, white lipstick became all the rage. Because it's space age fashions. Yeah, this is the period we put a man on the moon.
0: Yeah, very mod. Yeah. And then when we think about the 70s, I always think of long hair, peace and love,
1: Woodstock. Well, I mean, lots and lots of things happened in the 70s. The hippie look... Interesting. I talked to somebody who was a hippie and she said, well, actually, we weren't really supposed to wear makeup as girls unless you made it yourself. Uh-huh. So they were making their own face creams and putting henna on their hair. And how the body shop started was that Anita Roddick, Roddick, she went off on the hippie trail and saw all these women using, you know, natural products, using henna, hemp, whatever it was, and bought them back.
0: Nowadays a lot of people want organic products, eco-friendly, green products, which is awesome. There's a real movement for wellness happening in the world right now, whether that's your diet, your you know, your lifestyle or the products you're putting on your face. Even a few years ago, so many people didn't flip over the back of their compact to see what ingredients were inside. In fact, it's been quite a recent thing that people have started to care about the ingredients in their skincare and cosmetics products. But back in the day, there were no rules.
1: You didn't have ingredients listed on packaging at all. That was quite a, quite a late thing. So a lot of the early makeup in, ingredients, it was things like lead. Yeah, dangerous, dangerous products. So there was something called lash lure, for example, which you use to enhance your eyelashes. That blinded somebody, made somebody else's cornea fall off. There were anti-mold treatments that stripped off your skin. There were a lot of unregulated products. And so in 1938 in America, they introduced regulation because there were people who properly been damaged by unregulated cosmetics.
0: God that's horrible. Imagine today buying a mascara next thing you know you're going blind.
1: Yeah, well look at the people who have botox have gone wrong. Plus oh. ça change, plus c'est la même chose.
0: Oh jeez. So what what are your thoughts on botox and everything uh, like that? Yeah,
1: there's nothing wrong with getting old it's natural and aging is treated like it, it it's something wrong and shameful i mean it's interesting to see how moisturizers have changed their names moisturizers are anti-aging creams <laughs> didn't used to be called that but yeah every period has its look and its buzzwords so say in the 20s it was all the buzzword of the 20s was dainty the buzzword of the 40s was strong, and the buzzword of the 50s, immaculate grooming, buzzword of the 60s, young. You know, there are certain words that occur again and again in advertising and makeup descriptions that tell you what we wanted to be.
0: What's our buzzword now?
1: Um, good question. Well, anti aging, but that's been there for a very long time. I mean, everything. Is 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 anti aging?
0: I feel like it's still anti aging, but it's the big lips, isn't it?
1: Oh, that's yeah. huge! As, as a trap hat, yeah, yeah, yes.
0: And yes. the big eyebrows, the Cara eyebrows, which I love.
1: Yes, I like the big eyebrows. I think that one of the biggest changes.
0: The question of what makes something beautiful is actually very complex. I mean, obviously, you can be drawn to a certain thing, but. Who decides what is beautiful? I'm not sure I have the answer for that. I personally think of naturalness. I'm really a big believer in natural beauty and that whole thing. That is so beautiful to me. Less is more. But I'm also really understanding the beauty of somebody who is just so good at the art of makeup. Somebody who can just sculpt somebody's face and you know put all these colors on it like that is also really really beautiful and i think that with time i'm realizing that beauty means different things to different people so it's really really good to be able to see different variations of beauty and not just kind of pigeonhole beauty into one little thing it's it's to be open to different types of beauty
1: so it's again what we find beautiful it does it reflects our times It reflects our needs and the mood of the moment.
0: And when you think back, what's your favourite era? Like, what do you really get excited about?
1: No, I think you always go to a a period before you were born. Yeah. Typically. So in my period, and I collect the clothes from, and I do the look of quite a lot, is the 1950s, because I like a nice ladylike look and a big flowing skirt. And... The certain frivolity, prettiness and femininity that stum- sums up 50s style. I like that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel personally, from my own experience, people are a bit less dressed up than they used to be. And yeah. I mean, I, I just think we should be more experimental. We live in such a visual culture. And given that, have a bit of fun. Have a play. And I think colour is a very generous things it's a trivial thing but gosh it makes a day nicer
0: oh i feel inspired already i I did wear yellow shoes yesterday which i was
1: like whoa good girl (laughs) embrace your yellowness
0: well madeline thank you so much i have it just i could talk to you for hours and hours i'm just so fascinated by it and and to see how the history of makeup has really formed, well, modern day beauty and nobody really thinks about where it came from. So so
1: save that old packaging. It tells the story.
0: Oh, amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. After chatting to Madeline, I was really interested to learn that the history of makeup really is the history of women. Whenever I wear red nail polish or red lipstick, I think that it makes me feel personally strong and powerful, but I didn't even think of the history that came from wearing red lipstick. So I think now every time I put that red lipstick on, I'm going to be like, yeah, strong woman. I've never really sat around and thought about why I like makeup. I guess I was just always drawn to it. It always kind of reminded me of like, growing up and being a woman, like all the women in my lives wear makeup. So if I wear makeup, then I guess I'm a woman. I I guess it must have something to do with that. But in general, I just love applying it. I love learning about it. I love the different textures. I love seeing how it can completely change my face. And besides my face, how much it can change my mood. Obviously, I preach a lot of self-acceptance and all that sort of thing. But I, for instance, cannot imagine going to a job interview without makeup. I would never, ever do it. And I don't even know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I just know there's no way I would do it. Because makeup gives you this power within yourself that you always have in you. But for some reason, makeup is like the catalyst to just let that out, which I think is pretty incredible. So if you're feeling like, well, I have to wear makeup to this, this, and that, I do too. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I love people like Alicia Keys and Man Repeller who choose not to wear makeup. I think that's brilliant. If you don't want to wear makeup, you do not have to wear makeup. But at the same time, I don't think it's right to shame other people who do want to wear makeup. Makeup does different things for different people. And I I get both sides of it. Sometimes I feel more free without makeup and other times I feel freer with makeup. The only thing I'll say is that makeup is there to enhance your beauty. It's not there to hide you. It's not there to be, you know, a shield against the world. It's an extension of yourself. So whether you choose to wear a lot of makeup, a little makeup or no makeup at all, it's totally up to you. This show was brought to you by the team at Radio Wolfgang. It was hosted by me, Estelle Lalonde, and featured historian and writer Madeline Marsh. It was executive produced by Harry Watson. The assistant producer was Holly Aquilina, and the producer was Natalia Rodriguez. If you want to learn more about Madeline and check out her jewelry and her writing, then go to madelinemarsh.com. So we all know the more recent makeup trends, but I want to learn more about the past makeup trends. Can you tell me a bit more about makeup trends? <laughs> yeah. Like how many more times can I fucking say makeup trends in one sentence? I think I said it three times. I literally said like eight words and they were almost all makeup trends. <laughs>